Hello, Rich Bowlers here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. This week, I chat with the host of the Regeneration podcast, Anthony James. Anthony is an award-winning facilitator and educator, prime ministerial award winner for service to the international community, a widely published writer, honorary research fellow at the University of Western Australia, and an all-round good egg. The Regeneration podcast that he hosts features the stories of a generation that is changing the story, enabling the regeneration of life on this planet. It's well worth a listen if you are keen to be inspired by good people doing great things. Anthony James, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Rich. It's great to meet you and to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And like you say, it's been quite a, a long time in the making as well, hasn't it? Uh, yes. Our mutual um, friends, Adam and Stacey, salt of the earth, amazing people, have been saying that we should chat for right. some time. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. Oh, it's awesome because having just been at their home for the first time in Yapoon as well, and I was just telling you before, I sort of feel like I'm missing them, such is the quality of the people. Been back home for a couple of weeks and was just thinking last night, ah, oh, missing them a bit. Um, but yeah, to connect with you today, it sort of feels like a little bit closer. <laughs> oh, Anthony, I've been missing them for about 12 years or however long it's yeah, been since they moved that. up there. But yeah. um, it's it's so good, isn't it, to actually connect with people that you just know are so genuine and authentic. And I think yeah. there just can't be enough people like that in the world. No, well, that's part of, I mean, we were talking briefly off air before about part of the magic of doing a podcast. Um, I guess it's not always true, but certainly um, we are both finding it to be true that there's some there's some real beauty and, and yeah, you could say magic that comes out of it. And it all comes from, I think, the quality and openness of the people uh, to really gift of themselves into the space. And then, and then as a host, you get to connect with that and anywhere in the world. And so, yes, isn't it a magic thing? But what I've found on that journey is not just, I guess, in my case, it, it, my podcast, if, if anyone's familiar with it, have come to know it as where you hear about the stories that you otherwise largely don't hear. Sure, some superstars, but, but otherwise not where extraordinary regeneration is happening in one respect or another in in systems across the board. and t- But it's not only that. Or behind that, I guess, what I found is that it's the humility and integrity of the people that actually is the biggest thing. And, and in that sense, I found it's the biggest indicator or benchmark of regeneration. Like that's how you'll know where it's at when people you're finding are like that. And the beauty then beyond that is I'm finding it a lot, right? It's like <laughs> you could end up with this dim view of human nature watching the news. but And I'd had that view because that I just got the default, what we all get. And that was back then. Not you know, Now it's always, I would argue, <laughs> yeah. that sort of extreme barrage, constant, obviously, 24-7 barrage of largely negativity. Um, but, yes, to find that, people are largely like that wow yeah that so that changes everything yeah and it's wonderful when you actually have that lens on life it's kind of like ben zander the uh boston philharmonic composer that talks about always giving people a grade a and you sort of Mm -hmm. if you set them up for you sort of set the expectation that they're going to be like that it almost opens the door for people that wouldn't normally naturally be like that to actually feel like they can step into that as well Oh, Rich, that, this is fascinating to me, and it's bang on dad mindset, isn't it, like how you might parent? Because Hugh McKay, for example, our famous social researcher, absolute legend, and speaking of privileges of podcasts, like to connect with him on this podcast and then become friends, like we're in contact sort of regularly since. He will. He sort of makes a very good point, I think, that in, a, in some senses we've over-mollycoddled in this generation or last couple of generations, and you're a champion for breathing, he would sort of quit. <laughs> you know, gold stars for breathing. Yeah. And I think he's right, but I also think what you said is just right, and it's certainly applied to me, that the teachers that I I guess I'd look back and say that believed in me, I would be turned on in an otherwise teenage, you know, sort of um, time that was getting dull and dark for me. It would 
light a spark for me to want to live up to, as opposed to Dad's approach, <laughs> Dad mindset stuff. We'll probably delve into some of this, which was which was what he got, which yeah. was the which is the um, don't give them too much, or they'll get comfortable, and indeed whip them into shape quite often. Um, you know, it, it's it's belt the bad out of them so that you can. I mean, metaphorically, largely, thankfully, yeah. but obviously in all cases. Um, so that their innate bad, and this touched on the whole Catholic upbringing thing too, belt the innate bad out of them, the sinner out of them, and drill them to success. Yeah. That didn't work. No, <laughs> not, not at all. So many. Um, but, but the occasional teacher that would just take the approach you've said really worked for me. So I'm fascinated then where that balance is, where that yeah. art is. You know, it's it's not one way or the other. It's got to be more deft, nuanced, and in connection with the reality of where you are and who you're with. And so, yeah, it's all very interesting. Isn't I, it? I couldn't agree more. And, and there must be like a feel for it as well, Anthony, to, to sort of like just gauge, you know, and I, I've heard, I'm going back to lecturers. Um, I remember a story of one lecturer that would actually pitch an idea to the audience and he could tell by their, their eyes which students got it and then he reckons the first sweep would get about 70 percent and then he get he would change he would reframe the the engineering problem and then pitch it again and he goes oh probably pick up another 20 percent at that angle and then he would look for the 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 10 percent of eyes that you know weren't sparkling yet and then he would pitch it a third way from a completely oblique angle again and and he would pick up another five percent and and he said five percent are never going to get it you know i can't keep going but he would he would actually tell his he would explain something in three different ways but he would he would very much be gauging the audience and really telling because you can tell when someone like really gets what you're talking about but before we like get too far off track and into the weeds so you talk about those teachers that really believed in you was frank Mm. fisher one of those guys oh yeah yeah totally Uh, and thankfully you know in the really dark times um there'd be i mean I was unable to really connect and open up just completely unable so in younger times so the teachers I'm thinking of in high school, for example, that that were of a similar, well, had that about them anyway, that they'd believe and, you know, sort of set a benchmark that feared to meet or set an idea for you to meet, like the spark in some way. They were probably there, but I just, I couldn't connect and open up. But but certainly I remember a couple that had that effect on me anyway, that I, I hung in there and and did the do well, you know, put myself into it a little bit for what they were presenting. But certainly Frank Fisher was the one, and at the time in my life where I could meet it, uh, that really did, I mean, it was a whole other level he was able to open up. And I guess it's it's post-grad uni too, so it's sort of, it's ripe for that if, you've, if you're ready for it. And if the it's and if it's yeah such a professor obviously he wasn't an ordinary professor. No, <laughs> um, but you can you can indeed connect in a way that opens life up in all the best possible ways, and and yeah, has you feeling like you you have a part in it um, that could and should be yeah. Significant. Yeah. I mean, would you be okay to actually double tap on the dark times? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's funny because you can you can end up talking about it. Um, you know, words can pass easily, can't they? Well, at least now for me, they can. Yeah. Um, it can seem a bit weird to go through flippantly what felt utterly torturous and and captive. You know, I think that was the well, actually, captive for a while maybe, but then when I sort of got out of home. Um, got out of a, a, a not a great sort of home situation. I got a university scholarship because I I couldn't find anything else. Couldn't find anything I liked. What I'd been brought up in in commerce at school, I'd I'd kept the performance up, but it wasn't lying, wasn't turning the lights on in any fashion. So I I didn't want to keep going with that. And then this business systems. You know, systems thinking applied to business came up and I, I didn't know to recognise it in the ways we'd be talking about today, but it, and it paid you. At that time, it was cutting edge, all the major banks and retailers piling money in and I'm like, maybe 
you know, clearly related, so I'll you know, be able to do it and maybe I'll like it and, and hey, it's going to pay me. I'm going to get a car, a drum kit and, and my own place. And uh, um, things got darker before they got better, mind you, just in the absence of guidance. And I didn't like the degree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Got that but it was paying me. So I did get to express and find what was turning me on and music was front and centre to yeah. that. Um, so, we- so, but really, I just got lucky. I right. got extremely lucky in that dad, Compass Airlines just came on board, broke the duopoly in Australian, in Australian Airlines situation and flights back home to Perth which I had forgotten, I just, my home, my sense of home had dropped away, even though it had always felt right. like that's where I should be. Um, yeah, he bought us all, I hadn't spoken to him for years, he brought us all tickets to, to all go back on Compass Airlines for, you know, what's standard today, but back then it used to be a hundred, a $1,000. Um, yeah. And it's a couple of hundred. So we went back to Perth. That turned the lights on. But the, the point of the answer to your question, though, I was, I was getting at is that the worst thing of all, for me was obliviousness to options yeah it had, it had that's why i use the word dark really advisedly because it was just like what seems so patently obvious in retrospect and to anyone who would even look at me is like go home or, yeah. or at least be by the coast somewhere yeah i i've been out in the southeastern suburbs of melbourne i went to monash for this degree and even when that was finished i'm or approaching finishing i still hadn't twigged like just get to get to what you love. Yeah. It was blank. And that, of course, then has given me great insight. Having had the good fortune to, by pure fortune, break through, give me the insight of what it does look like, where it can look really obvious from the outside, but from the inside, when you're going through this, you can't see what can even help yourself. No. You and, know, and you can't even cool. think to ask the questions. No, you don't even know what the question is. Yeah. You, it's there it is you, you're just there and it's blank so what yeah. were the sort of signals then or the things you saw the things you felt when you actually saw the way should we say well so it was back here and part of the brilliance of that was so yes there's i look back and make sense of it now and think there was definitely a connection of place so when we talk about connection to country and the magic of that and we hear from first nations that you know infinite infinitely yeah. greater than a recent arrival um but 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 i understand that i can hear that because it just it had to be it, the main factor that was turning the lights back on and in addition to that there was family who who didn't know where i was at yeah. i hadn't seen him for six years or something uh, yeah um and and w- what I had done, as I sort of alluded to before, was keep the performance up. So I'd ha- I was on this scholarship, and I and I was fit. You know, do I think I might have even started doing triathlon, but I'd been a tennis player, and you know, dabbled in footy and cricket as well. So because I didn't want to do myself in, like I was, I'd even quit bad binge drinking at eighteen. Like I was trying yeah. to do the right thing, trying to do what I could see. But I was it was see. it like a masquerade though? It wasn't a masquerade. No, I think that's probably what was, what had, what was stopping or losing its um, cover. It was like the was the masquerade, which the drinking was, you know, enabled you to sort of do more. Yeah. Once I stopped that, then it was just getting real, trying to get real, but finding that without the way out, things were getting, you know, it was getting pretty dark. Yeah. Until yeah, this connection back here with family then who didn't know better. So the combination of sort of having the spirit enlivened and then meeting some cousins in particular who who we reconnected beautifully and that was a sort of an interpersonal level of the lights coming back on. And as I said, I'd already got into music. So I I went back to Melbourne like, yep, I'm going to finish this degree. I'm just going to knock it off, but I'm going to yeah. finish it. And I don't want to cut my own, you know, nose off to spite my face. I'm going to finish this thing. It obviously continued to pay me. And I'm going to find a band. And that band ended up, you know, one, two, three steps down the track, ended up being a band we toured, well, ultimately the world with. We went to India with, but toured the country with certainly um, extensively through the 90s. That was my 
but my awakening, my finding myself, uh, <laughs> you know, all that. And uh, mind you, it was still a disengaged, angry person at the world. Yeah. Well, the things I still wish were different. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't have that burn, that sort of rage now. That I, I met Frank with that, but and he was a big part of what helped me re-engage with compassion. Yeah. So that's a whole thing but that's the the short of the story anyway. can, can you tell us a bit about frank uh was he because it seems like he was a, quite a role model for you yeah and you know it's a funny thing like yeah it's a funny thing he uh, role model i guess so but we're very different at the same time what he was was someone who was able to, yes, help me re-engage with society with understanding. In fact, he he sort of cited a uh, saying more often as he got older and towards death ultimately was something like um, "If to understand all is to forgive all. And really he was the one that gave me the into that, to understand and to, by extension, then have compassion and be able to engage with and and assume more humility yourself. Because let's face it, if you're raging against the world, you you think somehow you're you've got the way and everyone else should have it type yeah. of thing. So realizing your own foolhardiness in in those ways too, the humility that then is key to it all. So in those ways, he he definitely sh- he he not only showed a way, but he brought a body of thought to my attention that connected the dots in ways I had built a disposition towards but didn't have the doorways. Um, and, and yeah, I think um, what he became famous for in general was what people would loosely say is walking the talk, but it was much more than that. Um, it, it was embodying the integrity of everything he was espousing. Um, so there's there's a there's a vastly greater depth, which I actually spoke to in in my eulogy at the, at his memorial service. There's a greater depth than that, but it does give the idea on the surface that this is a bloke who became legendary, you know, as a professor in the in the nominal ivory tower for being utterly, literally, on the streets with people yeah. through his life. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. That so that certainly did. I mean, inspire not only me but certainly did inspire me too yeah wow and so obviously with the the band that that would have been a natural progression into sort of facilitation and and those sort of public roles Is in that terms sort of, of in terms of being in front of people yeah yeah that's right that's that's what you know people ask me did you have a background in any of this you know, podcasting or radio or <laughs> or uh or uh, and i was like nah nothing but but what I did have was yeah a familiarity with hearing yourself back on a microphone or um, and being in a studio. Although I never liked that as much, I always preferred live. And I still do it in the podcast. Don't I get yeah. out on country people where possible. Uh, still prefer where life breathes. But um, but yeah, had that familiarity. And and while I never did the sound techie stuff, um, I guess it wasn't as foreboding. And I've been taught by people how I can do it in this context yeah so it probably helped in that way but mostly it helped in um uh you know i guess you talk about facilitation and even where this podcast came out of was hosting events that just attracted more and more people so i was thinking okay what do i do now sort of thing to make this more accessible and less of a logistical hoopla so i guess in the performance aspect yeah it probably did um and i say performance in a in a good way not in a contrived way um and i often do I think if anything, I've recognised in myself where being in the public uh, eye, but not just eye, like even being in an office space day to day, I always struggled with that. And I've sort of made more sense of it since I'm like, oh, yeah, with this experience now where I sort of get out with people, but then then I come back in and I'm just in my space here producing stuff. That's the perfect mix for me. Yes. Like I, I get in the cave. And then I come out of the cave and we're all on and freezing and I get back in the cave. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, that sort of day-to-day turning up with people, that, yeah, I can't do that. Um, but nor stay in the cave all the time, can't do that either. So I learned, I've learned about myself through this process, well, in a multitude of ways. That's one of them. 
and I've been able to tie the thread back to those music days where I always thought, yeah, tour the world for six months and then let me get out in the outback and no one near me for yeah. six months. And I, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've still got that. that. That appears to be who it, I am. Really. It's interesting you say that, Anthony, because it, it sounds like what a lot of people have come through over the last two and a half, three years with COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they, they probably didn't like working in the office nine to five, but they did it and it was like the accepted thing. And, and then they were locked in their house on their own or, you know, with their family homeschooling and they didn't like that either. But then people are sort of struggling, I think, to transition back to the old way. And I think yeah. it is, it's that trying to develop that that happy medium between leaning into one environment and then retreating to sort of recover or think differently. Because I don't know about you, but I work so much better at nighttime, like when the house is deadly quiet. I can crank through stuff. Like I can probably double my like output in uh, just because there are no distractions and so an open plan office for me is like the worst thing in the world (laughs) the worst invention but it's also there are huge benefits to being around a team of people and and sharing ideas and and just feeling the buzz of people but i think at times times, yeah not not all uh you know and so it's it's really this is massive yeah this is massive rich and It's a lovely sort of thread you've drawn, but I think it's massive on multiple levels and certainly with parenthood then because the job, you know, the thing, the artefact of the job, (laughs) I always have this line from Into the Wild, one of my favourite movies. Such a good soundtrack as well. Oh, incredible. Eddie Vedder. And play it, yeah. And, uh, and, And the lead character says, I'm not a. I'm not destitute. I've got a college education, and so on. But but um, a job's a 20th century invention, and I don't want one. <laughs> and and whether we want them or not, they're going anyway. Like in the gig economy, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. So the the precariousness of of work, it is one of those things where, on the one hand, it's challenging, and COVID certainly. But on the other hand, it was such an artifact of an industrialised paradigm, mechanistic paradigm, which we've come to understand has been a deadening force on life, basically, and everything from the microbiome and and living soil in agriculture to literally the animals that we pent up in cages to produce and then literally then the humans that, well, first for a start, ingest all that, but we treat the same way. Yeah. But in certainly the, you know, traumatic boarding schools of my dad's era, but even mine, it's just, it's production line stuff, uh and 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 that's not to disparage it all either that's just saying that's just the paradigm out of which it's come and certainly yeah. there've been many changes in education and terrific people working at that over the journey and and you know awesome and our and this does segue nicely then to the other thing I wanted to say our our boys in school you know as we speak so and our public school too for that matter very consciously and Frank taught me a bit about this too he said if we don't keep invested in our public institutions, then all well and good for us who might be able to go and go somewhere else. But what about the rest of the population to stay invested in everybody else's interest? And by extension, then our society as a whole through our public institutions is a very conscious process for us. And, and we have great respect for a number of the people we've met there. So all that notwithstanding, but what we have found interestingly in practice, because part of our life now takes the podcast out to the regions, obviously get on location with people, and my wife takes her health services out to the regions where, you know, they don't get them often. It's part of the same regenerative focus, really, that we're trying to bring about across the board, just a reinvigoration of life everywhere and and particularly where land is being tended or not. Yeah. You know, reinvigorate the, the the stewardship out across the country and countries. But what we found then is that there are pockets of time where Yeshi will just be with us. Our young boy will just be with us. So he's eight now. This started when he was four. His learning, by the way, skyrocketed. Yeah. And to cut a four-year sort of ongoing experiment down to a, a brief takeout in this context, in this answer for you, if you like, is that what we've found is that the blend is powerful. So, again, it's not get him away from the institution, you know, and it, but it's not leave him there the whole time and just let the let the um let the system be the source of his learning and and relationship cultivation and everything we might talk about here we actually have found and i don't know what this means like it, not everyone's going to be in a position or or have managed to forge away or want even a life that we've got but we have found 
for what it's worth, that the blend has been a very interesting and ultimately powerful thing in terms of almost any outcome you might want to measure. His social, his sociability, his ability to interact, his his um, yeah, mechanical skills, if you like, the numeracy, numeracy and literacy, his um, his engagement with Aboriginal communities. That that's not going to come here. Yeah. Um, that came in the Kimberley in spades. His understanding of different environments. Um, you know, there's just a, a broader literacy, and and all the more in a regenerative context, like he's seeing where things are terrible, but he's seeing where things are amazing and what he can move into in life. So that that's an interesting thing, I think. Well, I mean, we still mull on it for ourselves as 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 to what to, you know, how to live that out. But um but uh there's our finding anyway. I, I think it's brilliant. And one of the things that sprang to mind when you were saying that, Anthony, I imagine he's so much better at talking to adults as well. Which I think is one of the things that's it's almost like knocked out of kids at school speak when you're spoken to or you know you treat the adults with absolute like deified they're deified essentially and and i imagine he's much more comfortable speaking with you know people right across the age spectrum and and i think that is such a gift to to give your kids right across age right across culture yeah skin color absolutely uh, absolutely environments like i i was you know, I can remember feeling feeling absolutely intimidated to be around a, a pastoralist in the so-called outback, you know, and now they're friends. Now they're yeah. my friends. Right? And I see the sophistication, but I also meet the other, I meet others. Like I have, you know, a dozen conversations for everyone I'll record type of thing who, who might be harder to talk to, but I'm comfortable enough in my skin to be with that and learn and respect, you know, all the things, you know, Frank yeah. helped me see. But, but th- that's just by way of emphasising your point, though. It's that this is what Yeshi's learning now. Yeah, now, at age yeah. eight. You know, my, my <laughs> dad, we're all the, you know, as we talked about intergenerational trauma a bit off air. I mean, this is absolutely applicable here. If we go back to the source of my trauma as a child, like dad was in boarding school from the age of four. So from that age, oh, he was in boarding school, my gosh. which was a brutal beating affair you know and yeah. I, that's if, if you manage to escape the worst of the stuff we've learned with yeah into all this sort of stuff so uh, as i think he did i think he did avoid the worst but it was horrific enough just in the general mo of it um again notwithstanding kind souls amongst it but the system was awful and that was so where was he gonna i mean he was just a, a vacuum of that a sort of ability and learning and then and then found himself as a dad What's he drawing on? He wasn't yeah. even with his own family, so he didn't have it from anywhere. And and conversely now, as we certainly attempt to break those circuits, but then he's just in these environments and, and learning it from, I guess, the metaphorical village um, as much as we do obviously base ourselves in a couple of nominal villages <laughs> yeah. at times as well. But, but yeah, it's an extremely beautiful powerful thing in in a sense then our challenge has been a different challenge it's been how do we moderate the confidence <laughs> temper <laughs> how do we temper the capacity yeah. with, don't with, do it just unchoke <laughs> <laughs> we've certainly got to, had to work at um and we do still uh humility because he's also like he's his own person right this is yeah. the other thing about parenting he's yeah, he's oh, not like us. That's right. He, in some ways, sure, but he's his own person, and 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 he's only eight. So look out, you know. I, <laughs> I I look at the people with teenagers or beyond, and I think, yeah, hats off to you. Um, we know that this will the time will come. He'll really be looking to forge his own path. He still reaches out for our hands at the moment at times, but but he's certainly his own guy, and um, and he he talks, or like he doesn't have a. I don't think he needs a cave. <laughs> just keeps going and uh so yeah we've we've sort of work it into on on gratitude in fact um maggie dent yeah. talks about uh what does she talk about the the roosters and the lambs that's right yeah he's a rooster yeah so we have to work at that aspect so yeah. you know i don't want to paint an overly rosy picture <laughs> no but it's really interesting the way you talked about uh about black and whiteness you know essentially it's all one thing or all the other and i think so much of what we do in in the environments that we live in, in cities and towns and the media, it's all about 
one thing or the other. There's, yet everything is essentially nuanced. And yet our brains are not very good at nuance. And like when we're discussing things through media channels and so on, absolutely people don't like asking for, for nuance. It's People are quite uncomfortable with it. But I, I love this idea that you've sort of embraced a hybrid model. So it isn't just one or the other. It's like, no, there, there are great things on both sides. Let's just pick and choose the best bits and smash it together and make it work. Uh, I think it's a really exciting thing to do with, with children's education. Oh, which you, you've absolutely shot off a range of vital considerations in my mind. Um <clears throat> Let me make note of one <laughs> that I have to come back to. Um, I'm just going to make that note. This came up in a podcast the other day, actually, but uh, that that will actually bring a finding to the table a bit distinct from what people are, are looking for now in media. But let's hold that for the moment. Um, <laughs> I did the, the hybrid thing. This is so vital now, and this relates very directly to school, but obviously not only, because if you're black and white, you know, another metaphor for it is binary, right? Yeah. And that's digital code. Yeah, ones and exactly. And, and we, this is partly why, I mean, coming out of a mechanistic age, it's partly why we have taken digital tools and the online environment in the ways that we have, like bloody terrible extractive surveillance model stuff. It's And, and you know, as Anna Crean has written so beautifully, the way it's now being brought into schools Without an evidence base, um, without very often transparency, like nobody will know, your parents won't know. I mean, our school is at least good on that. They'll talk with you and they'll let you know everything. But even then, we have an ongoing dialogue. I mean, we're far from experts, but I'll bring to the table what I've learned and then they'll go, okay, we didn't know that. So it's a a reasonably good, healthy process. But I know not every situation is like that. And, And I found that when she was documenting this in her work. But this is, it's not just schools then, it's it's life that we are, and we do have these conversations with our eight-year-old. You know, we'll, we will, we'll sort of do it semi-jokingly, but we'll own the term addiction and that this is a cultivated addiction. Yes. It's, it's d- yeah, d- don't, don't make any mistakes. Like you, yeah. you want to keep using this thing because someone has paid lots of money to actually, they're rewarded on keeping you on this device. So don't feel bad. We oh. just need to almost build the, the environment around you where it, you know, there are check rails. And 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 I actually own up with the kids. I say, look, you can see how hard it is for me not to use the phone. Like I'm exactly. trying desperately to not use this. And I'm I'm highly aware that I am I I am as guilty as anyone, but I'm trying to put it away and trying to, you know, put it on charge in another room and things like that. So I've been trying to actually explain it to them, like, oh, I'm just gonna go put it on charge over here and put it away so that, you know, we can like be present or be be together and it's exactly it's such a it's i feel like it's everyone seems to be struggling with it no one seems to have any answers and and all or nothing isn't the answer either and so but but way how to navigate and because you're you're fighting an uphill battle against the the people that are you know well rewarded to actually get you completely absorbed into the whole thing that's the that's the tricky bit. So it's almost like how do we yes. how do we actually build the language in a in our families to actually or or even it is it's like okay you know, dinner table everything's away you know these these yes. sort of rituals or something that yes. actually put these stop gaps in. No bang! I think you're absolutely right. But I guess I bring some really good news to the table now because it's a keen interest of mine too. That yeah, it was literally just the podcast that's coming out next week. I don't know when this is coming out, but yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll place it for people. It'll be episode 133 on The Regeneration with Jody Jackson, who's who's just launched a thing called the News Literacy Network. And out of the UK, but it's a global thing. It's a culmination of 10 years of her work. Uh, she wrote a book, which will sort of give listeners the idea, called You Are What You Read, How, Why Changing Our Media Diets Changes yeah. the World. And what she's found... I mean, I could talk about other find, other people and other findings and there's there's so much going on where people are responding to this dilemma, both personally in terms of ritual and responsibility and it's all very important. But as you said before, the structural issues too. So there's so much going on, on and I tend to believe that we will go to a better mark 
because the media we used to have was a mechanical industrial extractive model too. It just did it in a different way. And sure, funded investigative journalism and stuff. So we've got things to work through now. But I, I do think that we're on our way to a model that's better than the lot and, and hopefully an ongoing, you know. Yeah. That's yeah, more yeah. of our understanding. We just, we just build in these ways and, and more open ways. But, um, but what she's found, amongst other things, is that the younger generations are indeed demanding media that isn't this constant negative barrage, Yeah, even when it's true and on much less the misinformation stuff, right? They're, they've had a gutful of it. And they are demanding and prepared to pay for it. And I'm a humble case in point, right, where people are, uh, it's a listener-supported podcast and it's sort of and it's sort of working. I mean, it's, again, low low level, but it's, on, it's heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, people aren't dropping off at the other end type of thing, so it looks like it'll work. And, and The Guardian, you know, is another one. Yep. But, but they're, they're absent, really, in the whole northwest of Australia. So self-admittedly, they say, you know, we, we're not going to do that. We're focusing on the, where, the, where the action is, normal action is in the southeast of Australia. But certainly, obviously, they've got an international presence too. But I think... And the signs are that we're going to have a media landscape that is utterly distributed, backed by the listeners and the readers who who see its value because they want to know the whole story. Yeah, not just the they sound want, bites. Not just the sound bites, not just the bloody negative barrage, not just the crises and acute instances of terrible things. They want to know where things are working so that we know and that we can learn as a as a body politic, as a society, what we could do elsewhere. Yeah. I think because so, I picked up on that when listening to your interview with Paul Hawken, because he talks yeah. about how, you know, it's uh, our brains are just wired, so it's almost like 10x um, more responsive to to really, you know, death and, and fear and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and so flipping it around into having people opt into the sort of news that they really want to sort of surround themselves with to actually keep ourselves buoyed as well. I mean, there's some amazing things like what you're doing with the podcast and interviewing all these amazing people that are working towards regenerating our systems is just fantastic. You only have to listen to like three or four of them to go, holy smoke, this is, it's almost like a a touchstone of, of optimism. Mm. And and I think it's that's why it's so important. But I think and and to to actually have more of that get out and be more readily available is super exciting. Oh, it's super exciting! And so you know, this news literacy network that Jody's set up with others, obviously, it's where you can go and and say, look, as a parent, for example, uh, I'm interested in how I navigate this with my kids. And it's a whole bunch of tools and resources and outlets and so forth that you can tap. Or just as an individual, I want to know this. And, and, uh, or e- indeed as an educational you know, uh, institution or whatever, as an educator, what can I take to the table? So, yeah, it is a way for us to understand the way things work, the system, understand the systems and the way things work and why, what were the good reasons and where did it perhaps go wrong and let's reorient towards well, decide what our North Star is anyway and then reorient towards that and that there are ways we can do that. And that's certainly one sort of centre point. Yeah. But there's a multitude now. There's there's Solutions Journalism Network, there's a whole bunch of them. But this one's sort of specifically dedicated to people like you and me to be able to go on and say, okay, I need a bit of help here. Who, who can I go to to help me navigate this with my kids? Bang, there are places. Yeah. Mm. What, what are some of the things that you have asked for help with, with raising Yeshi? <laughs> Ah, everything, <laughs> everything. Um, going back to how how can we get him to sleep? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, so, I, I've just a, shut out all of that. I just yeah, began, put it in a little like, drawer in my mind. Exactly. It's locked away. <laughs> so that was seven months in in our case, oh. and we had no freaking idea. But we did have the sense that actually we had such no idea that he was actually being what we were annoying him. <laughs> we were making our efforts to, you know, ease him to sleep were actually making it worse. Classic. <laughs> I mean, you could use that as an analogy for, for the world, actually. That yeah. hu- human fixes on the world, yeah. um, just making things worse. So it's an interesting thing. So, yeah, we went to people who know better than us 
And sure enough, bloody amazing. Within two days, he's sleeping around the clock pretty much from then oh, till wow. now. Um, amazing. So, yeah, go to the people who know where, where it's shown to don't, work. Don't hey? try and reinvent this stuff. <laughs> no, exactly. And we wish we'd done it earlier. And right. yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's the thing, though, with parenthood, isn't it? Like, I mean, part of our culture, I'm not slamming it. Like, so much that's good has come from our individuated sense of freedom and, and you know, really find what turns us on and be able to, you know, be fortunate enough in many cases in countries like ours to be able to access that and yeah. actually do it. Um, but that individuation, if if you take it too far, which we have, <laughs> I think I can safely say, that you cut yourself off from so much, including the idea that the village upbringing thing. Like, That's right. How can you yeah. ever do this yourself? Exactly. And I think the it's really exacerbated by this whole nuclear family thing. You know, you've, yes, you, you, you are a, a little family, you've got your own house, your own plot of land, and everyone else is, is outside. Whereas when you think back, not that long ago, you'd basically know everyone in your street. Everyone would be helping each other. Your family would be round the corner probably on two streets down, and you would know everyone in between. And so it would be, oh, yeah, go go see auntie about this. And, and, oh, yeah, Jack on the corner can fix that. And you'd know everyone that had those skills and, and the child whisperer that can put people to uh, kids to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, she, she's around the corner. Have a chat with her. And, and you know, we'd rub shoulders and bump, and bump into these people all day long. And our, our, our sort of lives would be so, I guess, full of, of this sort of rich sort of sharing. And, and the minute you step back and isolate yourself from that, it just, it puts all the pressure on right. you. And it's it so hard, especially yeah. in a time when, when par- both parents are working and you yeah. just amp up the expectations. Like, oh my well, this gosh. Is the thing. This is the thing, Rich. Pressure is the word. And, and that's what we're feeling, right? We talk about mental health and good that we're talking about it. But every time we're talking about it, I'm looking for some, same thing, right? Where's it coming from? What's causing it? Let's get there. Yeah. Let's not let's not just have services for mental health. Let's not just treat the symptoms. Let's not treat the symptoms. Let's get under it. What is producing this en masse in epidemic fashion? And it's a lot of the stuff we're talking to. It's it's a lot of those. I mean, and you mentioned. Um, I mean, you're talking effectively. You're talking about housing systems. Huh? I mean, this is where it gets big, right? But it's all being grappled with in quarters in some quarters, very, very well. These are the stories we can access to help us get through what can seem intractable yeah. in terms of the way systems, you know, incumbent systems work and appear with power structures and so forth. They, it's not, and I guess there's no more sort of stark example of what can change seemingly from nowhere, but not at all from nowhere, in the Australian Parliament at the last election. Yeah. So it, it's just... And that's really because it didn't come from nowhere. It, it was building for a period of time, and the system had got the incumbent system had got so bad. You know, Kathy McGowan would say it got so bad it's been made for us. Yeah, but that's her view of it. So imagine if we applied that mindset, yeah, to all the other stuff that might make us feel like we're in our little, you know, oppressed boxes. It's it's almost like that um that that sort of proverb or story about the two shoe salesmen that go to Africa and the one phones back and says, situation terrible, they don't wear shoes. And the second one goes, it's an amazing opportunity. Nobody has any shoes yet. You know, <laughs> it, it really is how you look at it, isn't it? Because that was the thing with, with the independence in, in the election. And someone's yeah. saying, oh, you know, they're up against it. There's, there's nothing. It's, it's a waste of time. But it's almost like it's, it's handed to the independence now. You know, there's this huge opportunity that they can actually make quite a substantial impact on on the system that will be far better than if it hadn't got this bad that's right yeah because we realized we had to actually completely flip it so a country that had been historically wary of so-called and badly called hung parliaments right where the, yeah. there was never outright power actually invited it and sure, it didn't end up just, but it probably will in future. I mean, in the words of one of the independents, Andrew Wilkie, the longer term one, um, he, he said, if this crossbench goes well, it'll be a while before we see a majority government again. And I think that will be. And in other places, that's not unusual. Like, that's democracy. Mm. That is yeah. a parliament yeah. even. Um, but it came because things got intolerable in the old form that wasn't bloody flash anyway. 
I mean, sure, when parties started, they had decent memberships and whatever, but those days are long gone. Nobody's a member. I mean, the primary vote still went down for both parties in this case. Their memberships still slide. Where democracy was to be found was to be with ourselves again back in neighbourhoods. And that's the biggest thing to come of it. I I say this sort of regardless of your political stripes. Like, I'm not saying which way you should vote. It's just the best thing that came of it, whatever your inclination, was that people were getting back together and getting involved in political processes and, and in many cases rediscovering or improving community. And that came out of COVID too, right? Yeah. So much. Like even just apartment buildings, someone just saying, I'm putting a note in every letterbox saying we're going to get together in the park on Sunday, and you know, <laughs> one, one story, she thought maybe three people might come. Yeah. 50 came. <laughs> this was in Sydney. I yeah. mean, these stories are everywhere. Yeah. It's being reignited in the best possible way. People's desire to connect stuff. is yeah. going through the roof, and it's it so good. So but I, I love it. what you said earlier, like we have to invest to stay invested. And I think yeah. just putting out those those opportunities as well to actually open the door to, you know, let these things sort of flourish is really exciting too. Mm. Now, Big time. But it doesn't happen by accident, though. You're right. It, it, we, none of this happens by accident. Uh, it happens because we step up and reacquaint ourselves with each other and how these things work and how we can change them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you did say a while back, and I wanted to ask you at the time about how Yeshi doesn't need a cave. Now, we we touched on fires earlier and campfires and stuff like this. Can you um, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts around rites of passage? Because I imagine you've done a lot of thinking in this space. I have, Rich, yeah. Um and when I say he doesn't need a cave, I guess I should qualify it in that he's a, and this is another funny thing, right? When we went around the country when he was four and the, I sort of really committed to the podcast for the first time and wanted to know if it was going to be worth continuing. But either way, we were going to learn about our country in a way that we hadn't done before. Get on country with people regenerating. And and it kicked in. So the rest is history type of thing. But what was surprising as Yeshi's learning went off now, in general, we sort of figured that was going to happen. Like, yeah, what an incredible experience, right? But he also took off with those mechanical skills. So reading kicked in. He was reading like, like a demon. <laughs> and sure, we've done the reading to, to sleep and all that sort of thing, but that's it. So there was, I think, A, there was something about the whole list. Well, there was something about what I'm seeing across the board in this regenerative space is the tending of all systems yeah. or the tending of the root of all systems. So we Actually, might sorry, about I, microbiome. I didn't way. even ask about this because I really should back up and ask you, what do you mean when you say regeneration? And, and yeah. sort of what, what is regeneration for the listeners? I should have asked that right at the start. I'm sorry. Well, and, and like, <laughs> okay. All right. Then I have to remember. Well, I, let me sign off on that bit yeah. anyway. It's, it's to say that because he's a, ended up being a reader, um, Maybe that's his little cave. Yeah. Yep. He doesn't need it like we recognised it. Yeah. But maybe that's where he gets it. Um, Still very roostery. Don't, you know, make no <laughs> mistake. You, I heard you mention Charlotte's Web. Was that is that a favourite story yeah, of his? It's certainly. And, and I mean, he's sort of growing now and it hasn't had a look in for a while, but it absolutely was for a long time. And, you know, he'd, he'd have read that, I don't know, 20 times. Um. And and the the old movie actually of that is is magical. Yeah. It hasn't dated at all. It's yeah. incredible. So we love that too. But um, yeah. Um, all right. So regeneration. <laughs> all right. Quick two pronged answer to regeneration. So because I'm talking about essentially the catchphrase of the podcast, right? The systems and stories we live by, mm-hmm. and that innate we're changing those things. We're changing the cultural norms and narratives. And then the systems we create in the mold, because that's where we do create them from the bigger things we believe to be true together as a whole. And these things are always fluid and moving and, you know, differentiated between communities and so forth. So, but that's, that's where it's at. And I think beautifully these days, that's becoming more and more understood 
that it's not just you know recycling or changing your light bulb to be flippant. You know, it's not it's not just that. So, or an electric car. Look out for that one now. Yeah. <laughs> or hydrogen. You know, any other bloody silver bullet that's going on out there. It's it's actually systemic cultural level, that and that's where the enticement is. That's where the beautiful stuff can be truly reinvigorated. So, and when we're where we're seeing that in holistic fashion, in any sector you care to mention, the results are extraordinary and rapid. Yeah. And I say that advisedly because it's almost not the point of it to be rapid because you're tending the source of life. You're tending the way, you're tending systems in the way life actually works. It's aligning with the, how things should work, isn't it? It is, it is. Is it, so does what, it almost hark back to like how you felt when you, you came through that period and, and the lights went on and all of a sudden you were aligned and it's like off like a frog in a sock, like just flying? Yeah, oh, exactly. It does. Yep. And, and all the more if you've got guidance and you're open to it, which is probably still what I lacked. So yeah, I sort of ready, ready to make the change. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was sort of nominally wanted it, but had all sorts of guardedness, no guidance and yeah. So then insecurities and stuff. But if, if you're open enough, that's what I really learned. If you're open enough and fluid enough, like in a sense, sustainability was more about changeability. Change is always present. How good at it can we get? Two, and I guess this is the other aspect of your answer. And in, when I say enable the regeneration of, of your question, sorry, when I say enable the regeneration of life, enables the key word. It's not to regenerate life. Yeah. When we're not perpetuating the masters of the universe story that we have believed in our culture for a few centuries or more, we are assuming our part in the tapestry and playing our part then in setting the conditions for life to just do its thing, to regenerate itself. And that's what we're finding is enables the speed and everything else. So, when we can get seduced by the tech fixes still, you know, electric vehicles, for example, actually the real speed is in getting the conditions right and then behold yeah. life doing its thing and, and what that does inside us both physically and metaphysically. You know, so it's all that. And that touches on then why the podcast is called Regeneration, narration as in story. The twist on the word is to always maintain that critical lens on it really as it becomes more a buzzword. Yeah. That it's... So we can look on itself even. It can reflect back on itself that it's not about buzzwords. It's not about a fad of the day. It's constantly about looking at, at, you know, and this is very First Nations epistemology, how do we put life at the centre of everything in every moment and let it do its thing? Yeah. You want me to go back to the other? Do you want me to go back to the other? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I know we're on a time here. So if we can close out the fire thing as well, that'd be great because that gets us back onto storytelling because I I know some of the best stories you've had on the podcast have been sat around the campfire as well. So that would Mm. be great. My goodness. Okay. For me, a really powerful moment. And you're right. I had this, I had this in general sort of building in myself from what turn my lights on but a really powerful moment was when i watched the documentary on adam goods and i don't know how far afield maybe you've got some old family even friends in the uk or or just uh, you know the international possibilities with podcasts so adam goods was an aboriginal footballer a champion aboriginal yeah. footballer who essentially was racistly hounded out of the game because he sort of became more of a, a mouthpiece than seemed acceptable or in ways that seemed acceptable at the time. A documentary was made later of that process for him and it's incredibly powerful. I think it might be called An Australian Story or something like that. And and what stood out to me most was when he's going through this harrowing situation um, and, sure, you know, his side and many people in the community were getting behind him, but then there'd be this incessant, like, hounding and booing and whenever he'd go near the ball this this absolute champion became Australian of the year like champion in in many ways and anyway what he had to do he had to disappear even from his partner he just had to leave to get some kind of bearing and where he went was back on country he had learned enough by that point 
where it was, A, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, B, yeah. that he could go there and find his people. And they've got this obviously reenacted thing, but beautifully done, subtly done, where he goes back on country and he gathers with all of three other blokes around a fire. And it's the sense he described came on him, but you can feel it even just in that two-dimensional form. Yeah. Out of all the hubbub of the city and the media and the hounding that he was getting. The circus, in, yeah. Circus. Although that sort of belittles circuses, doesn't it? I'm conscious suppose, of not yeah, doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. We'll pick another metaphor yeah. another time. But but that sort of thing that, that we would, that he would go out there and you just felt, I'll bring the word back in, the pressure go out of it. The, mm. the, it just everything fell away and it was a bloody beautiful feeling even as a viewer of a of a portrayal yeah but i guess this is the power of story when it's it's done really well to come to sort of where you wanted to go um and that i bring that up because it's no accident that that was around fire certainly in this continent yeah. and certainly for him i mean this is tens of millennia which i feel like you have to stop with Whenever you say, <laughs> it's a mind-numbingly mind big number, isn't it? We've been here a couple of hundred years, and we're on the brink, like tens of millennia. So that what getting around a fire does, and yeah, I felt it with one indigenous elder comes to mind the most. Eugene Eads in the southwest here, where we got around a fire in a in a um, I think they call it a mia mia, a hut, you yeah. know, as we might think of it. And uh, and what that produced was something else. It, so, yes, it, it grounded the conversation, almost sanctified, I could probably say, the conversation. And perhaps by extension, I don't know, <laughs> but the wind spoke. You know, I sort of glibly do these things outdoors so country has its own voice yeah. in these things. And I mean it, but I speak sort of generally I don't have a tens of millennia long understanding of how that manifests necessarily. But in this case, it was incontrovertible. Like particularly at the end, the wind sweep, he just played a song and the wind sweeps through and a moment of silence. It's just, it was unreal at the time. You're just like, whoa, <laughs> hold, hold your flanks, you know, and, and sure enough, I had listeners, without loading that up, I had listeners write in to say, my goodness, what was happening. Um, so, yeah, I, this, and, you know, really, in a sense, that sums the whole shebang of our conversation and even what is regeneration. It's yeah. the difference between fabricating an environment, and be it online, certainly, but not only. You know, houses, hmm. um, agriculture that just sprays the crap out of things that kills in the in the name of growing rather than growing to grow. Uh, all these contradictions. If we separate ourselves from the source of life, it, and we're still sort of dominate it. If we separate ourselves, it's at the least not going to be weaving its magic on us. If we dominate it, then it's not going to be doing its thing anywhere, and we're set for you know a death spiral, which is what we found ourselves on in a way, um, in really critical ways. But what we're finding is, okay, this is what happens when we do reconnect with the real thing, with the source of life, that it animates in ways we don't have any, ultimately, any rational idea of. So let's just get back there. Yeah, absolutely. You know it as well. You feel it. Oh, just Sarah, yeah, I mean, just, just like a campfire in itself. The stars, the noise, the heat, yeah. everything about it is fundamentally right. <laughs> oh, and, and walking through farmlands and pastoral stations that had gone down to, well, still are because it's hard to bring something back from bedrock, but in other places where it hadn't got quite down there that have come back where you're walking through landscapes that are manifesting that too. Yeah. Like, in, on incredible scale and incredible ways, and they're just scratching the surface. Yeah, bringing it's, dust bowls back in two years. In it's some super exciting. The whole wow. regen ag space 
I mean, and that's just a metaphor, really. Yeah. I think for yeah. me, it's just like okay, we can. That's going to happen everywhere. Yeah, that's just one we can easily see and put a finger on. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. It's the same ethos. It's Is the it? same thinking that we're shifting. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, right across the board. I mean, right across the board. To close this out, Anthony, what is it that excites you the most then about mm. the way we're moving at the moment? In a sense, it's almost press repeat on what I just said, in a sense. But I guess if there's an acute edge to it right now, it, it is that political transformation in Australia. Be- because for a while now, we've known most people, you know, like I said before, even most people might be flying under the radar most people, particularly younger, younger generations, wanted different media and they're prepared to put their money where their mouth is or where their mind is. And this was true of same-sex marriage, climate, across the political spectrum yeah. for years, but it wasn't translating to parliament. That had to change. We had to find a way to change that. And it's partly why people like Damon Gamo, filmmaker, who's made 2040 and then Regenerating Australia, why he and I, and we'd had a bit of overlap leading into the election with the touring of his film, yeah, yeah. and we're sort of in touch anyway, but though that was our means of getting in public and half a dozen times or so together, where that was a key topic of conversation that we were finding still most people didn't, or many people, perhaps most even, didn't know still that it was even brewing. And these are communities inclined to come to a film like that. Yeah. They still didn't know. Yeah, This is the stuff that's under the radar because the, mainstream news isn't reporting it. <laughs> yeah. it's not news yeah that is actually happening that we can actually connect with and see i mean kathy mcgowan postulated when her book came out a couple of years ago and and this really all took off on a national scale as a precursor to where we saw this going damon and i certainly saw this coming in the election while most media didn't still um that she postulated by 2030 we could transform politics in this country. Yeah. And bang, within two years, again, almost <laughs> like the past year out there that was down to dust, you just got in touch with the life-giving premise, the way of thinking and the way of reconnection. Reconnection, And bang, something like this happens in two years? So yeah. what's going to happen? It's incredible. What will it? happen by 2030 yeah. then? Let's keep going and wow. Well, your, your chat with, was it Kate Fennick? Um, and yeah, she, young talking, kids, yeah. yeah, talking about she was what 14 or something, I think, and talking about yeah. how you know she worked with her mom to really figure out who to vote for. And they sat down and they went through all the candidates, they really looked at their policies, they applied the blowtorch to their thinking and everything. And then she made a reasoned, rational decision based on all the evidence that she'd drawn on. And she went, I think these guys are the ones that I want to back, but she's not old enough to vote. And yet, how many people that go to the voting booth have no idea, have not, all they've done is picked up the paper that morning and they've gone, oh yeah, um, oh, I fill it in like this, good, off we go. And, oh, and yeah. it really flags something for me, like this whole dear idea about, you know, we had the suffragettes and, you know, that was such important work. But when you have kids that are 14 that know more and they're not allowed to vote, wow, that just... It just opened up my lenses so much because I hadn't yeah, even thought of it until that, that moment when I heard you uh, chat with her. Yeah, and, and you, you know, the idea that you could take it, should there even be an age limit on it? Because we're all here. And, hmm. you know, we're all present. Like it, opened, it asked more questions than it answered, put it that way, but in a oh, good way. I'm so glad that that's what it brought to the table too because that's why I was excited to put it out there and, and I was glad that that conversation even happened because it was sort of by accident, as you heard. But you might have also heard, yeah, there's a whole body of thought uh, out there and and like well-researched for decades, again, under the radar, yeah. that, that we should indeed lower the voting age and that the age it should be lowered to is around six. <laughs> and that, yeah. and sure, that all the sort of um, predictable questions would come to mind, like aren't, aren't they just going to be doubling the vote of the parent then? But what they found is that no, and what you described is why. Yeah. It's that actually they'll probably they be are, holding the parents accountable, going, "Dad, yeah. why are you voting like that? Like, yeah, come on, no. be real. Have you not heard They're, the policy exactly. on this? Because they because they'll be studying it at school and going through it with the teachers. So I would well, argue that the majority of them are probably, you know, reading more around this than than most of the adults. 
Well, this is the thing. So we we talked before about kids being their own people. Yeah. But this is that sort of the bottom line of it. Yeah. But, but yes, more broader, more broad to that is what you just said, I think, that the culture is different. And maybe it is akin, like I said before, to when parties began, membership was strong. They had yeah. that purpose. Um, maybe it is akin to that. But um, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I hear some of that. But it's certainly been well lost for a period of time. Like, again, you know, agricultural methods were well good for yeah. a period of time. Yeah. But uh, certainly in this country, again, tens of millennia. But we, when the mechanical mindset and the, and the um, hubris kicked in, that we control it all, it went awry. And in that sense, I think where the culture is shifting politically is what you see then, where there's that concerted, concentrated um, evaluation in kids that, yeah, doesn't, again, doesn't appear on the radar, unless, for, unless, for instance, mum, as that mum did, voted for her, voted yeah. on her behalf, actually took her vote to the ballot, which is a beautiful thing too. Yeah, There are ways and means, but, but it's a very live topic i think that one as well, to where voting age should lie you, you mm. just put a cat amongst the pigeons because like just mentioning the whole idea of this hubris that we're actually in control uh, it just brings an analogy straight back to parenting and like the fact that <laughs> you know we have this model that we believe that we are in control we're you know the kids are our possessions and all yeah. this sort of stuff it's it's like blown wide open when you start really scratching just below the surface it's almost say no more isn't it in fact and i am very conscious when even i say my boy as well yeah me too yeah Yeah. Mm. i like that you say oh i'm i'm her dad that's that's fine i'm completely okay with that or i'm his dad that's cool but it's it's yeah it's language is such an important thing and and i think Mm -hmm. that that speaks back to the stories that you're 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 putting out in the world and and it's such an important medium so Mm. i just want to say a massive thank you for the work you're doing. It's incredibly entertaining. If people haven't got onto it yet, they need to check out your podcast because you're doing a great job. No, thanks a lot, Rich. And right back at you, particularly hearing, I don't know if you've disclosed this to your listeners, <laughs> that you're going to take next steps with yours too, like power to you. It's, uh, we're all coming at the same thing. And that I think, again, that's the beauty of it. When we're talking about a cultural shift, uh, you know, my wife's health services, like I was saying before, your work on on parenthood and mindset it's all coming from the at the same thing, just from different angles, and that is what we need. There's a place for everyone at this table. This is where life happens. So, yeah, power to you and thanks to you. Well, thanks for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with Anthony, I'll put links to his website and socials in the episode page at thedadmindset.com. If you've enjoyed this chat with Anthony and feel compelled to do something nice today, if you could click the stars at the bottom of your phone or write a quick review for the podcast, I would be eternally grateful and send you a massive internet traversing hug. Also, if you feel super inspired to write a review in the form of a haiku, I'd be massively impressed as I don't think anyone has done that yet in the history of the internet. So uh, get amongst it. Anyway, I hope you have a great week and as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 